Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion that from the uninitiated to the uninitiated may just sound like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk about this week's news. Yeah. Well, I mean, this week's we're news. We've re- <laughs> started preparing this episode about a week and a half, two weeks ago. So, yeah. yeah. I was ill. And then to celebrate getting better, I decided to quit Pepsi Max. Jesus. Which, I don't know. I don't know if that was a good idea. <laughs> um, there's a big habit. It's like that thing's. To... Okay. We probably have listeners who smoke or and have quit smoking and smoke while being poor. You always find money for fags. Yeah. And when you stop smoking, that money, I don't know where it ever went because I don't. I never felt richer when I quit smoking. Um, I did for about uh, two months. Yeah. And, and then it's super just into crack gone. <laughs> And they got super into cheese. <laughs> yeah, but, um, Expensive cheeses. I have no idea how I was doing it, but roughly drinking three or four bottles of Pepsi Max a day. Two litre bottles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, quit now. And you know caffeine withdrawals, yeah? Yeah. They're fucking horrible. <laughs> They're like really horrible. Like in the last couple of months, like I, when I'm, my um, wisdom tooth was giving me all my problems yeah. and I was taking significantly more coding than I ever should have been. And I went through coding withdrawals when I stopped it. And it was horrible. It's not the first time I've gone through um, opiate withdrawals. It's horrible and it's shitty. Caffeine withdrawals seem worse, mainly because it was a fucking surprise. It's like, <laughs> it's okay, it's just Coke. Yeah. It's the, it's the fizzy brown. Yeah, what's it wrong with that? down. Nothing's wrong with fizzy brown. Anything that's brown and fizzy is always good. Newcastle yeah. brown ale, Pepsi Max with cherry. Yep. The two greatest drinks. Yeah, the two only drinks you really need. Yeah, they were the only two drinks yeah. I had. <laughs> a significant portion of my adult life. But yeah, so I feel very weird. Been sleeping yeah. very weirdly, having no. It will drink. do. Yeah, it will weird. do that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I used to. I was getting up to kind of like a bottle, maybe two bottles a day if I was at home in the day. Hmm. Um, but I've had like, I've never like really hammered caffeine. Like I'm, I like tea and coffee, but I'll have like one, hmm. and so I've never had that like proper breaking my caffeine barrier. You know how if you drink yeah. too much, like too many energy drinks or too much coffee. Oh, I've done that a lot. It, I remember, like, having, it just smashes it, so it does nothing to it you. Was years, I think we would have been about fifteen. Yeah, yeah, it was around fifteen. Indigo, the greatest oh, of all I've the heard energy about drinks. This, yeah, and it had just been taken off the market um, because it was too good for this world. And Poundland was selling crates of it for a pound, so I think it was like over eighteen or twenty-four bottles yeah. for a pound. And me and Matt bought a couple of crates and drank all the indigo. <laughs> Saw through time and space. <laughs> and yeah, I've been very much into caffeine since then. <laughs> and haven't slowed down until like two days ago. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. You've been living the high life. Yeah. Now life will never quite be the same again. You'll no, never have that no. same edge. Yeah, so I've so this last week I've just been like ill and then withdrawing from caffeine and listening to LBC. Why do you do it? I need to quit listening to LBC. I, yeah. Um, that's your next big withdrawal I symptom. Need to, like, also, as well, like, why am I finding quitting Pepsi Max so hard? I quit meat and dairy. I went vegan and it was fucking easy. <laughs> but Pepsi Max. Because what do you drink? There isn't a vape for it. <laughs> There's not a complicated set of equipment that you could use to kind of sublimate your, your yeah. addiction. No. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was a couple of nights ago, there was an LBC. There was like, okay, so Tom Swarbrick does the late night one on LBC. And the fact that this man has a job makes me angry anyway. He's on the radio, which, to be honest, I don't quite understand how to change a radio station in the bedroom. So, so I've got, it's like either I have that or silence, and I can't sleep in silence. Um, so I've got that on. And like he did a solid hour on why, if you think that Bomber Harris was bad, you're a traitor. Because the actions of Bomber Command was wholly good. And then the following hour was Was that related was that at all related to that uh Tom Holland, the historian going on about Dresden? No, I think it's to do with poppy stuff. It was to oh, do with someone saying okay, yes, yeah, we're in poppy season now. Oh Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, of course. And then the next hour was why you should definitely have Margaret Thatcher on the £50 note. Because if you didn't have Margaret Thatcher on the £50 note, if you've got a problem with that, well, why do you hate women so much? Okay, we'll do another woman then. No, no, it has to be this one. Because <laughs> there's only one woman. <laughs> but yeah, so there was that. Um, I did see a good tweet about that, that um, maybe if Margaret Thatcher was on £50 notes, then young Tories would burn less of them in front of homeless people. <laughs> so yeah, that's good. But yeah, so I, I've been confused and lost and listening to the radio and my sleep patterns are really confusing 
Sweet. Yeah. I had my uh, flu jab today. Yeah, you stole one. My work... I didn't steal a your, flu jab. No, you didn't. Your boss did. It wasn't going to it. Your boss stole it. Listen. Tell me, explain right? to me why <laughs> why your company, why your... <laughs> oh no, I know well, why your post-production the, the media company, company it's in, it's in very maybe child actors turning up and you might give them no the it's, flu. it's I know why it is yeah, obviously yeah. because it's uh, it's designed like our our office offers like free flu jabs mm-hmm. in the office like someone comes in a nurse comes in and does them mm. which I understand why kind of the NHS do it but the reason why companies do it is so you're off sick less. Hmm. It doesn't matter. Just say, like, the flu vaccine a couple of seasons ago was like 6% effective mm-hmm. because of, um, like of mutation them. and drift yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you might as well take it. But, you, didn't, you, but, but you, you, know, you did literally take it out of the hand of a dying old woman. I'm just saying, um, I feel a lot better about the coming extinction of the white race. <laughs> Thanks, George Soros! <laughs> it's a change your brain. Yeah. It's completely change your brain chemistry. George Soros, he's just looking out for me. It's the heavy metals in your brain. You like Bolt Thrower and George Soros. <laughs> I don't know why the straight away in my head there's like, Quickie, what's the heaviest heavy metal band? And I should have gone for like Anvil. You could have gone for Ed- Anvil. Or Anvil or Saxon. <laughs> like Heavy. Think, well, no, in my head, not like heavy, like heavy, like, but like I mean like heavy as in heavy, leather braces. Heavy metal. Yeah. Like, yeah. Leather braces, feathered hair. Mm-hmm. So Bolt Thrower. <laughs> Yeah, so what's actually um, happened? All right, so um, we prepared this episode a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, so it's uh, probably a little out of date, but still think it's worth doing it. It's still important. Um, a uh, memos to and from NHS England obtained by the Health Service Journal show that the private contractor Healthcare Environment Services, which has contracts with up to 50 NHS trusts, has allowed amputated limbs, infectious liquids, refuse links to cancer treatment, and other hazardous materials materials to build up at its five waste handling sites the excess waste levels at the firm's waste disposal plant in normanton reached 350 tons five times more than the permitted level the anatomical waste which is made up of human body parts and surgical waste has now been placed in fridges they are also attempting to export 750 tons of pharmaceutical waste to holland HES, which made a £15.4 million profit last year, <laughs> claims that the UK's ageing incinerators and strict disposal policies make it impossible to keep up with demand. There's too much regulation on this incinerator, so we're just going to leave it out back. Yeah. <laughs> I hate all of the red tape around disposing <laughs> of limbs. Of limbs. Is that, so when did they start putting them in fridges? Did they only start putting them in because of the heat wave? So we had like a really hot summer, someone smelt it, looked out the back of their offices and saw a 350 ton pile of bits. So the the managing director came out a couple of days ago with a kind of uh, trying to correct what he saw as inaccuracies in the story. Mm -hmm. He said, um, the uh, contractors and the site this waste will will now be going to will not be meeting the high standards for our facilities. Um... They do the. Uh, we operate obviously UN-approved containers and specialist vehicles with specialist drivers. Not one of the companies who are dealing with this just now can cope with this. And at the same time, they don't have the specialist equipment because this is a very unique industry. I know that just now waste is being stored in hospitals in shipping containers, and shipping containers are being lined with black bin liners to stop liquids, oh. whatever else coming out of it. Oh, now, that is from a man who's had. They've had their contracts stripped. Yeah. With the NHS, I believe with like six or seven trusts. Hmm. But it's like, yeah, of course, you know, like everybody, like all economics textbooks use like examples, like Marx uses like linen shirts, hmm. um, Hayek uses tin, tin hmm. mines, uh, Ayn Rand uses like uh, railways hmm. and, and building construction, sexy things like that. Why does nobody ever use medical waste <laughs> to determine like, oh, hey, this really, really unsexy thing? Yeah. Maybe it's not a thing that should be privatized out to the lowest bidder. Yeah. Maybe even if it's not like the lowest bidder, um maybe you should have some more joined up thinking, especially if you haven't got the disposal facilities in this country. I've just I don't <laughs> those shipping containers when they're opened. Oh yeah. It's well it's all like... right, they'll be opened in Rotterdam. It's <laughs> a surprise. I just like the, we'll just sneak because I. It's the Brexit dividend. Are the Dutch gonna take it? 
They do because they've obviously got such uh, a high capacity port yeah. stuff. They yeah. it, there's a lot of cases where things tend to go to Rotterdam and then get shipped to the Far East. Hmm. There was another story this week about um, there's a huge amount of corruption and fraud with uh, plastic recycling. Similar kind of thing hmm. where uh, companies get uh, contracts to say that that to, to like a certain amount of contracts that they can exchange for money for. Yeah. Uh, exporting plastic recycling waste hmm. and a lot of it goes to Holland before it goes to the Far East yeah and it's like god damn it. yeah it's it's such a complicated supply chain when it doesn't no, it need, doesn't to, need be. to be uh, it doesn't need to be as complicated as this mm-hmm. with money men at every stage extracting yeah extracting profit out of it well you know you're, you're sitting there and you see you know they cut off the limb they put it in the bin Bin goes outside to the incinerator, and a man goes, "Hang on a minute, Can make some money out of this." <laughs> it's like, it's a thing that I hadn't even thought about because, um, like the hospital near us, they've got their they've got a big incinerator. Yes. So I imagine they're not part of this. I mean, I think you need unless you, do... you have to pay the private. Like they've got a bouncer on the door of the incinerator, you got to pay them to use the old incinerator. Which, to be fair, I could see happening as well. Yes. Because you privatise the incinerator within the hospital, yeah. you put someone on the door yeah. to stop the undesirables getting in, and you know, <laughs> then you've got the incinerator that's paid for itself. Mm. Yeah, and you don't even have to pay to have it transported um, far. To be honest, I Except think for when you're caught out not burning anything, you have to pay for it to go to Rotterdam. <laughs> I think some of those, um, like especially medical waste incinerators, have to operate at a much higher temperature than mm. maybe those old Victorian furnaces can. No, but um, there's like, um, a, well, I don't know, I don't know if it's a furnace or, or an, I think it's an incinerator because. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean. Like, it has to be. I see smoke coming out of it. Yeah, and like you it's can burn not... some stuff, but you can't just. You have to because it can. None you of probably that, have to burn hot like, for like cyto cytotoxic plasma can't just fucking leak into groundwater. You know, it can't go through the. I think you'll find that it can. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> it shouldn't. Yeah. We'll see if it, if it like combines the fracking thing, like it's a small tremor and like a load of rubbish that goes underground. <laughs> just like when Homer takes over the uh, the bin, uh, yeah. the trash collection department. Yeah, just stumping it into a hole. And then that, yeah, I can see. Oh, I'm God. really glad. Oh, Michael Gove, I'm really glad you solved that budget crisis. Oh, and then he taps the golf club. <laughs> you really could, and a hand pops out of a golf ball. I golf could hole. see a. I could see a private company buying an old mine. And just putting all these limbs down in the old mine. I think that's what they do with some recycling waste. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's just just trash. It's just like... The horrible thing is, like, whenever you think about this, like, you you kind of compare it with, like, what you would call a third world country. Mm. And, like, the comparison is is nowhere near just because it's... you can't compare Britain with a third world country just because the dynamics around it are mm. different. And there's so much fucking wealth here. Mm. Mm-hmm. So much wealth. Mm. And to not even be able to dispose of... The severed limbs. The thing next to shit as stuff you don't want. Yeah. It's... Shit and piss and body parts and blood. It's one of the, it's like other things you don't want. It's combined with that other thing that happened this week. Not this week, but the thing about um, the hundred companies causing seventy four percent. Yeah, yeah. Of all the emissions and all the bad and all the climate change shit. Yeah. Which is you know, galling, for yeah. like when you know you're recycling or you know not eating a cheese sandwich. Um. <laughs> it infuriated me, especially that. Uh, so there's a there was a story today actually about. Um, the plastic recycling. Mm-hmm. So apparently, the Environment Agency is um, investigating exporters, plastic exporters that are falsely claiming for tens of millions of tons of plastic waste that might not exist. And they've estimated that um, British export firms claim to have shipped abroad thirty-five thousand tons more plastic than customs had recorded leaving the country. <laughs> Which is like it's infuriating because this is a very UKIP topic. Yeah, it's a very you know. What? You expect me to separate recycling and yeah. food waste? But like, I have got a proper good routine now yeah. of separating out my food waste, my plastic. I barely have to take out my main bin. I take it out once every two weeks. Mm. hasn't got any food in it, so nothing goes off. Mm. It's fucking perfect. Mm. I'm lucky because I live in a flat block, so I've got like a a, a, a big recycling bin and yeah. like big steel uh, like 
drums to take take rubbish out in. But the idea that you're kind of people are putting in that effort, and I know it's not a load, but it is some effort. Well, and the onus and has like, been put on them to fix it, and for the most part, people aren't like you gippy about it, and yeah, they do it. Yeah, but it's like, well, no, you're just re- like you know rearranging the deck chairs. It's a weird kind of thing because when the Tories came in, they were all about um, nudges to make you. Mm. Uh, do better things so like opt-in pensions or opt-in mm. do- or, uh, organ donation or stuff mm. like that and they've gotten to the stage now where literally their core their core belief in privatisation works at every level mm-hmm. against the thing yeah. that they say they want to do Yeah, it's fucking crazy and I find it even more ironic as well that this came out um, at the point when um so they're trialling monthly bin collections in a county in Wales. Yeah, of course they're testing it in fucking Wales. Of course they fucking are. Because that's it. what you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you do. Yeah, until the um, the special Brexit backstop when we get all of Ireland and then everything's going to be tested on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. Um, I just find it ironic that the, the birth, the founding myth of Thatcherism and neoliberalism in this country mm. was the winter of discontent. Mm-hmm. That was when supposedly the the kind of veil came down and everyone realised that the post-war consensus wasn't working. Mm-hmm. It was you know there were the unions were so powerful and the the government bureaucracy was so bloated that it couldn't get anything done and everyone was so aggro and you had all these uh, red scared, robo red robo and Derek Hatton and look mm. at what they're doing. Mm. Um, and the two examples that are used, even though they're vastly overstated, mm. are the bins weren't collected mm-hmm. and um, bodies went unburied. Mm. Now, that was somewhat true for a couple of weeks on the bin collection mm-hmm. and the grave diggers' strike was like a week, mm-hmm. which is, it still caused, you know... Yeah. images to come out that then impacted and whenever you mention socialism is in this country mm. it's like You'd have that. oh i remember 1976 um <laughs> i was about to say 79 i don't know i remember 1976 the the bodies they were in the streets yeah. the rubbish was piled high for a bit <laughs> in another part of the country mm. not in surrey <laughs> and <laughs> it's ironic that we've got to this point and of course, this is now the point where neoliberalism is breaking down. Yeah, and the ex- very thematically similar things are happening. Yeah, the um, oh god, the idea of monthly bin collections makes my skin crawl. Yeah, like we've got the weird thing because, like, this like I live in a Victorian terrace that's been turned into two flats, mm-hmm. and so, and but then there's. Now, because my daughter was old, there's three adults living here with three adults worth of rubbish yeah. with one small bin. Yeah. If that doesn't come every week, mm-hmm. which does happen occasionally, then we have rubbish piling up and they refuse to pick up the other rubbish. And then you have to take it down the tip. And do you know how often I'm allowed to go down the tip? Once a month. <laughs> with a carload full of stuff. Yeah. Like, we recently cleared out our bedroom. We had to pay for a private person to come take away our rubbish. I think there's some cases where I think it's that South South Access, Access Road, isn't it, in Walthamstow? Yeah, that's what it's called. And I think in some cases you have to book. Yeah, if yeah. you have particular yeah. large items or something, no, you I have mean, to book. Yeah, I remember when um, me and Danny took advantage of it when we were sorting out this back garden. Um, but yeah, it's down there, and yeah. yeah, it's really it's fucking horrible the tip stuff. And um, yeah, the like one of the things that was driving me insane for the last couple of weeks for three weeks. They weren't emptying my bin properly because there was still a pizza box at the bottom. <laughs> it got caught, and so they because they just tipped it, and then it's like you haven't emptied my bin, and I've had them break my bin. Like I think I've ranted on the podcast about it, where they break my bin in front of me and say I don't know what to do about it, mate, and then ask me to call for a new bin, and then it takes like three weeks to get a new bin, and in that time I've just got rubbish everywhere. So when is John Harris coming to interview you? <laughs> interview you to be the voice, the voice of forgotten Britain. I have the boys of forgotten bread. <laughs> they forgot about me. They, yeah, they, they forgot literally, my bins. They literally do. They forget about my bins all the fucking time. And then, as well, this week I had fucking Thames Water shutting down my road with no explanation as to why. And I saw what they did. They dug one small hole, took them four hours, and the road still shut. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's just off. like. God, I want some Pepsi. <laughs> 
But yeah, fucking bins. Yeah, it's it's the, it's it is it's it's just it's just amazing that like it shows you how strong the neoliberal origin moment was the mm. way that Thatcher managed to kind of uh, Thatcher and others obviously yeah spin so much bullshit out of managed to tiny. focus all of the attention on some actually very tiny mm. things. I mean, the three day week was a big thing, mm. but that's kind of the th- that's kind of the major framing device that they then put around bins and bodies. Mm. And to have it come through again hmm. is so mad. Yeah. Oh, and BSE. I like to remind you, it's like, like, yeah, that's like a food crisis. Yeah. Have Although a, I don't think it's going to be as big this time. I think this is actually the end. I sincerely think that there are elements in the Brexit crisis and things like that hmm. that signal the end of the British political system as it exists. I don't think it will be able to exist in the same way in the future. And I just like the fact that they're doing a whole greatest hits. <laughs> so we're going through, yeah, bodies and bins, BSE. Uh, what happened? Uh, what was the other one? Um, yeah, uh, food like food shortages. Some Tory sleaze. There's yeah. some nice Tory sleaze. Yeah, that's that's they even. Haven't had any Tory sleaze for a bit though. Well, it's just Boris, but that doesn't get the coverage that it would it truly deserves. <laughs> but you know, there's some good sleaze there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's nice that they're going through the greatest hits. They're going through the greatest hits, and then they're just going to wind up. There'll be one final live performance, so they'll have one <laughs> Prime Minister's question time on the White Cliffs of Dover before they hand over control to the EU. <laughs> before they sell out my birthright. You know, like uh, Japan um, signing the peace treaty on that battlecruiser, <laughs> on that uh, aircraft carrier. Oh, That's what it's going to be oh like. Oh, God, I'd love it so much. If, um, if everything goes wrong with... Leaving the EU, and we have how to, could it not? I know, and we have to rejoin the EU, yeah, and we have to take the euro. We should have a couple of things put on us that were put the kind of things that were put on Japan after the war. So, you know, like Japan, all combat sports are banned, which is why, yeah, wrestling's so big. Um, we could have like football banned because it just angries up our blood. <laughs> how great would that be? <laughs> And then everyone could get super into roller derby or something like that. Some <laughs> some scripted version of a, You were about a, to say rollerball. <laughs> I was about to say rollerball. But we're like worryingly close to a society that has rollerball anyway. That has rollerball just to, you know. <laughs> to deal with the horrible screaming masses, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It does show kind of the limit like just the dead end that private like mm. this story wasn't greeted with any any kind of uh, call to nationalise anything around hospitals. <laughs> like the idea, like, Do you know what I mean? Like this is disgusting. Like we should nationalise burning blood-soaked racks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it was like, the general nationalise waste disposal. Yeah. Like it can't be worse. Yeah, it was like it generally greeted with just a go. Oh, it's like course. a oh, this is disgusting. This is really shocking because it mm. was like a shock mm. because that's as I say a level of civilization that most kind of medieval countries got to, if not, you know, Bronze Age. Mm. Dealing with their filth. Dealing with their dead. Mm. Dealing with their filth. Yeah. How long back does the piles go? Like, you know, this. how long have they been storing stuff up? It doesn't say, because the other thing was, this was a leak. Yeah. This wasn't, um, this wasn't uh, announced, or it wasn't suddenly like... The NHS Trust didn't announce it. So I just got the idea of the inspector going round to the offices and going, oh yeah, everything seems in order, everything seems fine, but it's like in the middle of the heatwave and just... <laughs> What's that? And then they go to the top of the hill and they're like, as it, oh, as like their vision just unrolls over the hills. <laughs> and you just see this massive like valley full of limbs. At the risk of making two Simpsons references in one segment, yeah. this would be like Skinner going into Seymour's kitchen and going, oh, you steam a lovely hat. What the <laughs> hell is that? <laughs> That's a lot of legs. <laughs> and it's the sharps. It's all the sharp boxes. Yeah. There's a lot of needles. Yeah. Like a lot, a lot of needles. <laughs> oh. That's just... Oh, God. It's just, it, it's just shipping containers lined with bin bags full of what will essentially be microwaved till it just becomes a fluid, like slow cooked. <laughs> oh, but dude, yeah, you get to you get to the end of this, and like, there's not because, as I mentioned in the beginning, it's not a sexy thing. You can't no. you can't point to a dynamic, innovative 
body disposal regimen. Fire. You can't. You, yeah, I know. Like, you just you can't, can't. You, don't you can't can talk cool, about, like... You can't have a cool Elon Musk gadget for, like... Well, I mean, can. you can talk about, like, high-tech incinerates and stuff, yeah. but nobody's fucking listening. No, no. This isn't a banner case for privatisation or neoliberalism. No. But the interesting thing is there's no call... There's obviously no call for it, mm. but you would expect there's something like, oh... If they were operating in good faith, if they were not operating under the most fucking murderous mm-hmm. of ideological premises, you would think that there would be a little twigging of saying, you know, we could just, you know, put that back in the public sector. Mm. Or we could announce something to say we fixed it because mm. part of the pri- reason why things get privatised is that it's off the government's mm. uh, to-do list. They don't have anything to do with it. So if anything goes wrong... They'll get the blame, but mm. they can always say it wasn't it wasn't us. Mm. But no, they're going ahead with um, there's something. <laughs> they're gonna stuff the Channel Tunnel with all the bits. Yeah, when we leave, they're gonna build a better Brexit voter. <laughs> they're gonna have a second. That's that's the plan all along. <laughs> they're gonna hold a second referendum, but they're waiting until the technology exists for them to take all of these limbs and build better voters. <laughs> who appreciate what the Tories have done for Britain. <laughs> They're going to rebuild a giant Francis Drake-shaped voter who will be put out to sea to negotiate <laughs> trade deals. Liam Fox on top, waving a cutlass. It's such a horrible... Just this, like, horrible barge of rubbish. Just like... <laughs> like You know when, like, you have a, some, something in the bathroom that just bumps against the side? It just bumps into the side of France. And it's like, what's that? Oh, God. And it's just this horrible <laughs> homunculus made of needles and rags. They say they talk about Empire 2.0 and like a buccaneering yeah. spirit. What they mean is we want the world to fear us again. And yeah. how more are you going to fear Britain if they turn up to you in a corpse boat? Well, in the in the modern age, Scramble for Africa 2.0 is a lot harder now that Africa is, is like way more modern than it was then. We're going to need... <laughs> Horrible zombie warriors made out of our discarded limbs. Jesus, it's, yeah, I hate all of it. It all makes my skin crawl. It's upsetting in the moment. In like the oh, and they're already that. Like, like I say, like you would think that this would have some kind of oh, something's going wrong here, but no, no they're no. proceeding with. There's something called um, accountable care organisation contracts mm. that they're trying to push through. That I have not seen in the mainstream newspapers like not a lot i haven't looked very closely Mm -hmm. but it's not been like front page news and certainly not for a sustained period of time Mm. like they're basically create starting to create um hmos Mm. like in america where you Mm. sign up with a company and you have their your health insurance with them they're starting to create these things called um accountable care organizations yeah so they're going to be rolled out for um uh, ccgs clinical commissioning groups Mm. gp Mm. GP cartels, basically. Hmm. Um, and currently, in most NHS contracts, you make a set payment for each treatment provided mm-hmm. to each individual patient. But this new contract would pay the provider a fixed lump sum at the start of each year to cover the costs of a range of treatment for the whole population. <sighs> they're, they're privatising it. They have privatised it. They've, they've done that to the NHS. The NHS is now a care provider, a state... Hmm. A state care provider yeah. in a sea of privatised care providers. And they see, they're just imposing this logic on it again and again and again. Oh, their contracts last 10 years as well. They're locked in. So whoever's um, provide, like is providing the contract gets a steady flow of revenue for the next 10 years. They're ensuring the future of that company ahead of the financial well-being of the clinical commissioning group. You know that quote of the we won't make any apologies for our terror. Yeah. Is it, yeah. I can't remember the whole the exact quote. But you know what I mean. Yeah. I want to say was it Bader Meinhof? No, I don't think it was I think it was someone I think it was someone older than that. No. Hmm. But um yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I could yeah, it's game. Like if like the as if the Labour Party has cemented into some ten year fucking private healthcare contracts. Oh yeah. Um that would be horrifying. Well, no, I don't think it would be horrifying because it's time to start fucking breaking these things. Yeah, yeah. It's time to start breaking these yeah, PFI contracts. It, it's, I think it's the kind of thing that would force, and I, it would force them to make their decision about whether they're going to do it or not. I would and hope. I'm, I would at hope. The moment, I'm, a, I'm very much of. Yeah. You know, my opinion on the Labour Party at the yeah. moment is I'm very, 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 very down on them. 
I don't think they'd have the bottle to. I'm, I, I think it, they'd just say... It's not, <laughs> we'll create something new alongside it. And it's yeah. like, I still think the one thing the Labour Party hasn't gotten right is its desire to smash. Mm-hmm. As well, much as it's it desire. Will, because they can't portray it like that because they'll be accused of being terrorist sympathisers. Yeah. Otherwise, in some crazy universe... They'll be accused of being anti-business. Yeah. In some crazy universe... Yeah. They'll say, this is like the Great Terror all over again. I lost my guaranteed contract. <laughs> oh, I hate the low price. Said so Mark Billington of <laughs> the Body Parts Disposal Care <laughs> Initiative. I, it's maddening. It's maddening because you can't do anything about it. It's yeah. maddening because it's so disgusting. You don't want to have to do anything about it. Yeah. And ah, there's no outlet. There's no, no outlet. There's no democratic, political, anything else outlet for it because there's nothing to be done. No. Short of actually changing that entire logic behind fucking desiring profit out of things that profit has no business in. There should be no profit out of disposal. Flesh golems. Out of flesh golems, yeah. yeah. That should be a nationalised thing, maybe under the purview of the church. <laughs> <laughs> so another cursed earth news. Yeah. Uh, Michael Gove has a plan to boost post-Brexit Britain. Open the nation's waste dumps for business. Awesome. The Environment Secretary wants all council waste sites to let people pick over reject appliances, old TVs and half-used paint cans to find <laughs> things they can use. <laughs> I'm looking forward... Because, like, you know, do they still have those programmes where they, you know, Go into a house that shit quickly paint all the walls magnolia and then sell it for twice the price. That was like more of a nineties. I feel that's more thing. of a. I don't think the property market for is some quite reason all those pro all those programs tended to really wind down around two thousand nine. <laughs> yeah, weird. But I just like the idea of like ah this this room is perfect size for half a bank can <laughs> of future. <laughs> half a bank. <laughs> um, apparently. Uh, I'm looking forward to these boutique paint shops. It's like, what do you, what colour would you like? Oh, I'd like surprise, and it's just all the paint mixed into a big barrel. You want to paint for your house? There you go. There's some paint. It don't matter what it is. It just matters that it's there. Brexit Britain. It doesn't matter what it is. It just matters that it's there. What's the colour? It's purple. Brexit purple. <laughs> Apparently, Gove, um, uh, Gove is a fan. came to Gove in a fever dream. Gove's favourite book is um, oh, no. Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens, which is about a family who becomes rich by sh- uh, selling rubbish for money. <laughs> now, I'm sure lots of people are going to make loads of money from digging through piles of old TVs for small bits of... Is it Coltan? Well, no, because that... Actually, to be honest... There is a very strong element of Tory ideology, specifically yeah. Tory, maybe not as much, it's a kind of UK flavour of, of neoliberal ideology, mm. but there's one where they look at the like um, people who live on waste dumps in Lagos oh, yeah. or in Delhi mm. or in Mumbai, and they go, ah, that's the true entrepreneurial spirit, I mm. wish I was there with you, but damn it, <laughs> I've got this six bedroom house in Surrey I've got this beautiful penthouse apartment in Mumbai and all I can do is look at you through this high power telescope <laughs> that was that what was the um, that Pretty Patel um, oh, no. authored book where she said the British are the laziest workers oh yeah they are in, the, yeah. in the world and it's like no because that's that's where that's stems from yeah, yeah. they they look at a, it's one of the reasons why I don't think they've ever properly invested in being a high tech economy hmm. Because they constantly talk about it. I think they, there's an element of them that would love to be somewhere, you know, like a South Korea mm. or a Singapore. Mm. But they just can't overcome their utter, utter hatred of most people in this country to actually believe that they would ever be capable of being able to, like, create well, high-tech stuff. Michael Gove said, it's like, look, I was in, I worked in the Department of Education for ages. We're not going to get any award-winning coders out of any of this lot. <laughs> But let me tell you what, small hands, they will scrabble for all those bits. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they, they look at that kind of thing and it's like, ah, yes, this is what we want. Scrabbling through to find a Barbie's head and <laughs> two wheels off a pram that isn't the make of the pram that you've got, but it's two wheels. Oh. I'm not even mad at like the notion of recycling goods. Like, I no, actually, that's good. I would totally 
go and do that. But mm. you know it's not going to be the free-for-all that I really want. Well, don't, you know, go because to... I have all the instincts of a rat. I'm an obnoxious London person. I go to vintage shops. I've seen upcycled things at a distance <laughs> um, at the market. My favourite thing was once my nan bought uh, was uh, going to buy a, a like dining room table. Mm. And... She went into this shop in West London. This would have been like probably early 90s. So mm. it hadn't quite started gentrifying, but it was getting there. Mm. And uh, she was looking along it, examining it. And it's like, there's all these holes in it. And he said, uh, oh, it's well been artificially distressed. And she had to leave the shop because she was laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, artificially. Well, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a vintage... It's a vintage television. It's a vintage flat screen TV that the sound doesn't work on. Yeah. <laughs> Just like you can watch films as they were intended to be seen in 2008. <laughs> you see, I would love to have enough technical knowledge to be able to take stuff and repair stuff like that. Like, I feel so those, guilty whenever those, I have to chuck yeah, something a lot out. Yeah, a lot of those TVs, like, I've got a broken TV. It's, I know they're not designed like, yeah, to be taken like, apart. It's like but... just a little bit on the circuit board that just needs fixing. Yeah. Um, but it's like, oh, it's such a waste of fucking time. I can't be asked. Like I've moved, I've moved, Mm. you know, several times in the last 10 years Mm. and I felt really guilty about chucking stuff away that I know if I wasn't moving into a, into progressively smaller places Mm. that I would have a use for that. Mm. Like if I had a storage area that I could just keep stuff in and potentially one day (laughs) maybe fix it or repair it and then not need to, to buy something new. I, I, I don't like living like that. Mm. But kind of also in those last 10 years, I spent kind of, well, in fact, in the last 15 years, I can spent kind of 10 of them on a minimum or maybe not much more than that wage. Mm. So time to. yeah, like there's a, there's an element of like, I don't know. There's, I, I do like scavenging things. I don't have, yeah. because I haven't had much I haven't had any, I haven't owned any property. I haven't had any, sounds a bit Tory, but I haven't had any stake in where I've been living. So I don't have that kind of like property, like ideal, I I haven't been ideologized towards respecting, I'm a thief basically. Yeah, (laughs) that's what you're trying to get at, you're you're a scrounger I have absolutely no problem taking something that isn't being used and actually putting it to use. But I don't think that that's what... I don't think that's what he means. I don't think he means like... Me looking at a house which is obviously going to waste because no one lives there, and it's just been empty for years and years. And yeah. me just breaking it and changing the locks, but and upcycling it from an asset to a home. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't. I, I just literally don't see the problem with that. There was a thing with Dawn Foster. She was on um, Good Morning Britain. Washing on Good Morning Britain um, a couple of days ago, um, talking about whether empty homes should be given to the homeless. Oh, yeah, and it's like yeah. Why'd you go and good morning? But of course, and if, because Piers Morgan's going to call you a, like a monster. Well, I don't know. But yeah. uh, whatever the optics of it, the question is fairly straightforward to me. Yeah. Because I have no, I have no like deification of the idea of the private idea property. of an asset, of yeah. a private property. No. It has been shaken in people, mm. younger people who are still renting that they will never own private property, which mm. for the most part doesn't mean necessarily capital, but means owning land or a house that is on land mm. especially seeing as when they do eventually buy a house they won't own the land underneath it they'll still mm. be paying all these kind of different fees to different landlords even when they have a mortgage on the mm. on the place so yeah that kind of like property being inoculated into the idea of property mm. i think is probably probably been knocked out of a lot of people in in a much greater way than it probably was with our parents generation mm. But there's still none of them are going to have time to go scratching for the bins. That's the other thing as well. How is this supposed to work? Because you know that with this kind of scheme, again, their hatred of the poor, their hatred of the working class, will overwhelm their desire to even allow them to scrounge the bins, mm. and they will put permits on it. Mm-hmm. They will restrict letters it. Of mark. So no, yeah, letters of mark on waste property sites so yeah. we'll have thousands of small claims cases mm. of somebody taking a washing machine that somebody else has said dibs on yeah oh. <laughs> and you know what will actually happen because this is exactly what we just talked about mm. um rather than as they see it 
families going down to the dump to salvage and recycle and and thriftily repair things, make Mm. do and mend. Yeah. It will be the guy who currently takes every mattress out of the gardens Mm. of every house on this road and on every road. It will be a group of guys who happen to have a van, like a cage van. Mm. You know those white vans that have got the cage over them where they, you see, I've seen them come and truck stuff off. When I was living in Hounslow, I could just leave stuff outside and in the morning it would be gone Mm. because... The fellas. The from the plains. The fella, yeah. <laughs> the fellas would come. Yeah. And and take it away. And that's what it will be. Mm. They will manage to create a situation where all the good stuff is taken and sold on in thrift shops. Which is That's not gonna cause that much of a bump in the economy. Yeah. It's gonna cause nothing. It's it's just it's such a this is the last I, I declare it right here and right now. Okay. This is the last idea of this Tory government. Like, because I haven't heard... I haven't like okay. particularly heard of it before. Mm-hmm. I think that covers like the new aspect of it. Okay. Um, but also, it's the absolute apotheosis of like Cameronian mm. conservatism. That whole, like, um, uh, make do amend, keep calm and carry on, mm. blitz spirit, all that kind of stuff that they thought was the way that like the post-crash period was framed. Of, you know, don't go out and buy stuff. Just, you're poorer now. You have to stay home and repair your clothes. Mm. Make fake ivory jewellery from all the bones you've found for the medical waste dump. Yeah. But doesn't it give you such a lovely, lovely nostalgic feeling? Yeah, it makes me think of those photos of people, like, picking through rubble after bombs through the blitz. (laughs) (laughs) I just like the way that this wasn't, like, the experience in Britain. So it wasn't people picking through dumps in Britain. It was the experience of people in Berlin and Hiroshima. Yeah. Maybe that's the problem. They've pushed the wrong austerity nostalgia. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if this was ten years ago, they'd, like, as well, they'd be... They'd make a much more of a fanfare about this. They'd, Mm. like... They'd be planning dump parties. Oh, God, they so would. they'd let out some, they'd get out bunting and they'd say, now the community dump is open. Bunting that's all been the, found in the bins that was for the last <laughs> baby. The mayor would cut through a ribbon made of bin bags. Yep. Uh, you know, there'd be a flashy advertising campaign that they'd spend like £4.5 million on with mm. like a mascot called the Dumpy. Tippy. Yeah. Tippy or Dumpy or something like that that mm. will appear in one advert that will play for the next three years. Dumpy the thrifty rat. <laughs> They're just, they're just completely out of ideas. And he didn't even like make a big deal out of it. No, he just, just came on. I don't even know where he announced it, but he just kind of came on and said, "Yeah, you're going to get to go in dumps." Mm. That's that's it. He just shouted out the window at that's a passing journalist. It. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. That this is the last new Tory okay. idea. Yeah. It does just about reinforce some kind of capitalist individualism Mm. we can already also people who have been through every privatization scheme of the last 40 years can Mm. already see where it's going Mm. which is like it will be predated upon Mm -hmm. and there will be nothing left of the original kind of goodness in the idea yeah um and like yeah i there's nothing they don't have anything. They don't have anything to give. They don't have anything they no. can change. Everything's in such a balance now mm. that the only thing they can offer is rubbish. Yeah. Actual rubbish. Okay, our final subject this week is... I'm going to try and pronounce this man's name right once and then not bother. Okay, so it's Panagiotis Theodorakopoulos. Tacky! Tacky. Tacky. Tacky by name, tacky by nature. Possibly one of the worst human beings in the British media landscape. Like, definitely amongst the written word. There is something... Like, in magazines, is there a person worse than him? I mean, there are, because... So, if you didn't know, he writes the High Life column for The Spectator, which is basically... It's a gossip column that has delusions of grandeur. Yeah, it's him just being bitchy about people. It's 3am wintering in the Côte d'Azur. Mm. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I can't think of anyone better, but also his his reach, if you just took him as a British journalist, his reach would be limited. Mm. What's more hor- horrifying is like his extracurricular stuff, mm-hmm. his, the stuff he's done other than The Spectator. 
Yeah, although that being said, with The Spectator, he has done some of the most horrifying. Yeah. Ones. Like, he had. He's popped up a couple of times recently because, like, in the, the last, last two years. He's been two, doing it since 1977. Yeah, this, so the last, column. like, two articles that I remember coming mm. out in The Spectator was that one in praise of the VEM Act. Yep. Because, you know. You have to. Um, and the other one where he was calling for a return to feudalism because he wanted <clears throat> samurai to deal with our poor people. Yeah, he wanted the samurai as a kind of aristocratic police force. Yeah. Um, of course he did. <laughs> yeah, he's a very... Um, the closest analogue to him among kind of right-wing people is the real, like, traditional traditionalist alt-right. Hmm. Like well, he's, a bit, um, a bit dark enlightenment without the focus on technology and. Well, his magazine that kind is of thing. The, was like the the main magazine of the alt right. So yeah, he set up Tacky Mag because this, this he, when he was too racist for the Spectator briefly, and before they welcomed him back, he went off like at a half and started Tacky Mag. I think that's why he started it. Yeah, um, because I think I'm trying to think. There's um, yeah, because. For a while, Boris Johnson was his editor at The Spectator, who did get annoyed with him when he did a series of racist and anti-Semitic articles, including one alleging black people had lower IQs. <laughs> you know. In 1984, he was arrested in possession of cocaine after attempting to board a plane. <laughs> Served three months in prison. He documented his prison experiences. For fuck's sake. Prison memoirs. He was in prison for three months for possession. <laughs> three months. Yeah. And he went. Um, he he founded Tacky Mag, which is like a, a it calls itself a libertarian uh, magazine of culture. Oh, it's vile. Um, but it's what it is is a far right racist paleo conservative magazines that counts among its uh, its writers: Gavin McInnes, yep. Jim Goad, yep. uh, John Derbyshire, um, that national culturalist little tadpole guy, uh, Jack Buckby. Oh yeah, and oh, Ri- yeah. and Richard Spencer was executive editor there for a brief period in yeah. the mid two thousands. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. Um, like weirdly he, enough, Tacky Mag is not weird. Tacky Mag is way more what you would expect if somebody if if Tacky Mag if Tacky hadn't set up Tacky Mag, Gavin McInnes would have. Oh yeah, definitely. It's that kind of thing. It's very much like the Rebel Media thing, but it's been around since like two thousand seven, mm. I think two thousand eight. Where it just gathered a load of like aging Gen X dickheads, yeah, and very old people like Pat Buchanan, who yeah. he had worked with before. I think he was he worked at the National Conservative with Pat Buchanan. I think he founded sort yeah. of the National Conservative like, magazine with Pat Buchanan. There's a couple of people because like one of the main things like I remember the main things I've been aware of Tacky about for like most of my adult life mm. is him having weird feuds. Yeah, like he had a as feud. any good goss- gossip columnist yeah. would. Like him and Neil Hamilton had a feud with Figgy um, Mohammed Al Fayed, <laughs> because of course they would. I mean, why would Neil Hamilton have a problem with Mohammed Al Fayed? <laughs> I don't get it. Um, he also had a feud with Conrad Black <laughs> um, because he said Conrad Black had married a Jew. And so that became a feud. There was an interesting... Actually, before Conrad Black went to prison, he actually um, wrote an article about why he, I think, briefly got rid of uh, Tacky. Yeah. Um, and he said, I defended Tacky when he was attacked by the mayor of New York for a very insulting column about Puerto, Puerto Ricans oh, yeah. in 1997. His remarks were outrageous, but as the Puerto Ricans did make a mess on Fifth Avenue, oh, they contained a kernel of truth and did not incite violence. In the same spirit, I... Do, uh, da, 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 um, he fired him for making a column that was rude about Jewish people. Yeah. That was racist and anti- actually openly anti-Semitic. Yeah, but that's not even... Like, he's it's been the whole compar- so many times. He's one of those people who thinks that because he's always said it, yeah. that somehow it's to be expected. Yeah, definitely. He, he, he's definitely one of those people who he's got a very, like... He is the guy who is in, like, every European film, uh, every European non-art film from, like... 1970 whatever to the present day yeah like he's in a unaccountably quite wealthy hmm. spends his time between like switzerland and the the french riviera yeah. and he's he's austin powers where does his money come from 
Um, I think his father, oh, the son of his, a shipping his, magnet. yeah, his father was a shipping magnet, and he was a tennis pro, and he was a tennis pro. What is it about ex tennis pros? Because like Andrew Castle on LBC is a tennis pro, and he is probably, and I'm including Nigel Farage on this. Yeah, he is the worst person. On Nigel LBC. Farage terrible at tennis. I was playing in the other day. I was, <laughs> but oh, they are just terrible people, all of them. No one should play tennis. It's a bad sport. But um, yeah, this is this is the stuff like all the feuds that Tacky's had because I was looking into all of them. <laughs> yeah, and like, and just he just makes these comments that are just so like we, um, referring to Cherie Blair as not good enough, not good looking enough to be a whore. Yeah, like that. it's like it's like he, he. You can imagine he's saying this, and he thinks that he's like swirling his martini. He says it, and then holds for applause. Because again, he he thinks of himself as like this outrageous, brave figure standing against like the shibboleths of the day, the sacred mm. cows. Yeah. The only thing he doesn't really account for is the fact that he is massively wealthy and unbelievably sheltered by mm. all of the friends he's bought sex mm. workers for. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's that kind of thing where he he's like, oh, I've, my friends on at the Cote d'Azur say this is a very witty comeback, and it's like, no, it's not. No. You just called someone a fuckhead. Yeah, there's a, I was just talking about someone at Private Eye as unbearably ugly, jealous, socially undistinguished, literary thug who was so undesirable a person that he was actually barred from eating at Annabelle's. I had to look up what Annabelle's was. Oh, but yeah. It's like, it's like the kind of thing like, well, of course, they couldn't, they couldn't even go here. And it's like, where's there? Like, it's such a different world that Tacky lives in. Yeah. It's actually, when I was, I was reading some stuff about him, when you said about Annabelle's, I mm. looked into Pat, so apparently... He was um, a member of the Claremont Club, mm-hmm. which, if anybody's watched the Mayfair set, the mm. Adam Curtis documentary, it was all focuses around the Claremont set, the Claremont Club, which was a club set up by John Aspinall mm. in Mayfair, a underground gambling and drinking den, mm-hmm. where kind of he Adam Curtis, like in his usual style, doesn't really make a very strong evidential case, but does make a strong thematic case mm. for it being one of the birthplaces of like mergers and acquisitions and monetarism and mm. neoliberalism. Mm-hmm. All of those pioneering pirate-like CEOs and businessmen who yeah. took back the welfare state for, mm. for capital. Um, but there's an amazing thing. Apparently, like uh, in one of the obituaries, someone said, yeah, he uh, Tacky was there and uh, John Aspinall... Like, um, he gambled his house. He lost a house to John Aspinall in a card game. And years later, there was another obituary from somebody uh, uh, about John Aspinall. And somebody made a claim in the book about him that Aspinall constantly cheated his friends in the Claremont Club, hmm. like uh, defrauded them. And Tacky got into a huge argument with that guy saying, John Aspinall was my friend. He was honest and he would never have cheated his friends. <laughs> it's like... You pathetic worm. Yeah. John Aspinall, this actual weird eugenics yeah. kind of Nazi guy. Everyone remembers the, the animal, the, the zoo breeding programs. Yeah. I don't think you quite realise how far his idea of what a breeding program could do yeah. went. Yeah. Um like ripping him off and then him defending him. <laughs> it's oh my there's god. Some, it's cause there's little things about like the world that Tacky exists in. Yes. Like, it's a lovely quote. A, fo- um, a friend of Trump, of Trump's, and this is despite the fact that Trump has been feuding with Tacky's brother for years over $200,000 in unpaid golf membership fees. <laughs> <laughs> Which, it's almost like multi, like, it's almost like a billionaire, it's always sunny. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's such grotty stuff. Like, well, you owe us money. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake, all you people. But there's an article I read of his, because I tried to read some tacky bag, and Don't. pop-ups, horrible. All of it's horrible. But there was an um, article I read where he was at a party in um, Munich for his daughter, who's a countess marrying a count. Yeah, he's married to a princess, I think, isn't he? Yeah. He, he married into old European aristocracy. Yeah. Um, and at the party was Bill and Hillary Clinton. Yeah, because of actually, course. Actually, yeah. If yeah. I think of weird, said, every single one of his older articles is him, and every single anecdote is him boasting about going to a party and bringing in fifteen like prostitutes to yeah. to service his friends, and his friends say no. 
I don't, <laughs> I don't want to. Tacky, it's a Tuesday. And him going, well, well, they didn't want to use the prostitutes, but oh well, <laughs> they were there. It's like fucking, it's Austin Powers. It's yeah. Evil Austin Powers. But it was, um, yeah, there's a thing, it's like, he says that um, Bill Clinton said that the Kavanaugh stuff, the Dem- the Democrats are making a big mountain out of nothing. And it's like, ta- I know Tacky's a liar. I'm going to say, yeah. like, I'm 100% certain that Tacky is a liar. It's not that, that he's liar. not a liar. But that it's being just said, that I can see Bill Clinton about, saying that. He doesn't care about And truth. also, yeah, and also, what Bill and Hillary Clinton are doing around this, like, and of course that's what, this is, it's, it's one like, of those, it's one of those things of like, why these people are hated. Yeah, it's one of those because things. Because of course of... they hang around with Tacky, who, you know, oh god, god. It's like the problem with Tacky is his mere existence is a perfect thing. If you are friends with Tacky, if you have been to a party with Tacky, you are a bad person. <laughs> if you have been at a party with him and not attacked him or walked out instantly, you are a very bad person. Well, you're one over if you write his... on the spectator with him and complain about anti-Semitism in society, but you know, you still take money from the same people that pay Tacky, then you should be just Jump off a cliff, Nick Cohen. <laughs> well, no, he's been to these parties. Of course he has. Yeah, Jess Phillips. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, she's been to all these... These fucking people. They've got no problem with Tacky, because he's like a weird sort of old mascot. Yeah, he's sh- he's shielded by... For, for them, The Spectator is the right-wing magazine that they, they would never agree with the stuff in it. No. But it has to be there, because it is a pillar post. You've got mm. the New Statesman on one side, mm. you've got The Spectator on the other, as far as, like, colour magazines. And then in their mm. minds... The Economist somewhere in the middle, yeah. but right next to the Spectator, yeah. <laughs> um, and the New Statesman, not really that far no. away. But like two um, posts in front of, and so they're, they're fixtures. They, it's it's unimaginable that the Spectator could uh, be boycotted in any way because mm. it's so essential to the landscape that they recognise. Yeah, you know. Oh. Um, yeah, just reading like old. In- I didn't go on Tacky Mag because like there's nothing there's nothing you get out of one of his articles that no. you don't get that you that you would get out of reading anymore. No. Read one and you've read them. They're mostly accounts of him getting really annoyed about how Gestatt, the place where he lives in, I think Switzerland. Yeah. Um is letting in all the new money. Yeah, yeah. And he complains about like god, t-shirts in the hotel lobby. Yeah. Which is very that's a very alt-right thing. Mm-hmm. That's a very alt-right thing. But, yeah, but it's like it's like ties with people like Gavin McInnes, though, who, like, Gavin McInnes. Tell me what about Tacky? I don't think Tacky has caused as much problems as Gavin McInnes. Like, even in all of Tacky's career, yeah, because Tacky's such a failure. He has no political ambitions other than pitching. No, no that's the thing. Because he's, he's realised because his politics are his life. Yeah, his level, sheer, eye-watering level of. <laughs> privilege <laughs> and his ability to talk from that pillar hmm. that's that's his politics why would he ever want anything else yeah. he doesn't really want feudal aristocracy to no, God, no. police the poor other than when he feels threatened yeah yeah you when know? he briefly walks outside the ritz to the taxi and like he's one of those guys who he makes a big thing about he never makes a big thing about his wealth but he makes a big thing about his like gentility and mm. class Pretend it, he pretends way too much to be an aristocrat. Mm-hmm. Like, you find a lot of those guys, like, even among, like, what you might call, like, nouveau riche, mm. you would, you find those, like, ah, oh, well, I've got, you know, breeding, I've got good manners and things like that. And, like, cosplaying the idea that it's not about that wealth, that it's about your behaviour. Your behaviour somehow makes you worthy of mm. of having this, like, elevated status, you know. And most of his stories are like, oh, uh, like, if you said it in, like, a normal way of telling a story, it'd be like, oh, yes, yeah, so I got on this boat with my mate, right? <laughs> uh, we were out, yeah, there, four days playing dice and drinking and <laughs> then reverting back to tacky. Oh, and we were perfectly genteel the whole time. It was yeah. always... He's a wonderful, a lovely lady came to visit us. It's, I actually don't even know if that's his voice because I've never heard him talk. But probably has a he has a accent. New York accent, I believe. Yeah, Does he? yeah. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to prefer to do my posh boy voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like the only difference between him and like I don't know a car salesman from Nantwich hmm. is that he doesn't look the help in the eye when he screams at them. Yeah. You know. Well, no. He has someone. He has someone on staff to shout at the help for him. <laughs> Doesn't he? Yeah. Like, it's a man who gambles all day and drinks. Yeah. It's like, it's not that hard to do that. I've known plenty of people who do that. <laughs> the only difference was, 
Tacky wasn't, you know, abandoned by his family and the job centre and sectioned at the mm. end of it. Yeah. You know? It's just... And, that's, and that requires an unbelievable upkeep of class, power and mm. privilege to keep him in that situation where yeah. he's not constantly arrested. Yeah. It's, um, it's still that thing. I've, I don't think anyone could be anywhere near him and be listened to. Yeah. Really. About anything. About, like... Anything in the world, really. It's why you look at you do look at the spectator, and it's like, oh hey, oh yeah, hey, Tacky's back in it. How is Tacky back in yeah, it? And like it happens every, every time. time. It's like, my God, why hasn't Tacky been sent away to that island of the mega racists where they get sent to when they've been caught doing too many racisms, <laughs> and then eventually one survives, comes back to the mainland, and becomes president. He's constantly raging as well because the kind of ruling class of neoliberalism, like mm. the class shard. The Davos set has slightly mm. changed. Mm. He now rages against the Davos set. He thinks that's the the worst like thing mm. that's ever happened. And it's like you are literally them. Mm. You are literally that thing, except you don't have any control over the world economy. And like, yeah, he he maintains this kind of this distance. It's like that's why they've kept it on. Is because they've somehow been taken in by the idea that he doesn't get mad at stuff. Hmm. He doesn't get really angry. That's what did, makes him distinct from your uh, Little Johns and your hmm. Katie Hopkins. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't appear red, to get mad at things. And in fact, when he got fired from The Spectator, he was so not mad that he went and founded an entire magazine <laughs> to repeat the things that he'd been saying because that's I'm how not, not mad he was. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what his, like, end goal is. Oh, he'll just die probably sexually assaulting someone really young. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, like, it, I, like, that's the kind of, that's the life for him. <laughs> Sailing the seven seas, living, dining out on the implication and all that kind of shit and constantly sending back articles to the spectator talking about things like, Actually, I think I should be allowed to hunt the poor and things like that. <laughs> Constantly being paid and going to these parties and Nico and going, "Oh, Tacky, you're such a rake." There's a, I don't know, because there is also there's. A I co- don't know how much Nick Cohen likes him, but the fact that I know that they must hang around together sometimes. I bet you Nick Cohen has drunk with him I back bet when Nick Cohen was drinking. At the very they least, definitely did. Laughed at a joke he said. Oh God, yeah, yeah. He's laughed. He's laughed at a tacky joke about an Arab. Yeah. And then framed it as freedom of speech when he got called on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, because like most most conservatives and elites anywhere are driven by a certain like hierarchical ideal, and he does mm. have that. Mm. Like, but the, he hates the Davos set because their kind of their ideal is looking at something like the Obama presidency with mm. all of its like technocratic stuff, and they look at Silicon Valley with its kind of hierarchies mm. and things like that, and they envy that. They want that for their own countries, mm. but. Tacky has a he's still a conservative, so he has a different kind of envy. He has an envy for the Habsburg Empire. Mm-hmm. And it's like endless parade of ranks, so that you can immediately tell, and in fact, would never be in the presence of someone lower down the social order than you. Yeah. And that's also not an entirely foreign concept to like conservatism, right wing like rightism mm. um in any case. Because like a lot of the early there's a reason why it's called the Austrian school. It's yeah. a lot of like Hayek von Mises, uh, uh, Hermann Ho- uh, Herman Hess, I think it was, um, all from Austria, all born before the First World War, all remember a rigidly hierarchical aristocratic world where everybody virtually wore a badge <laughs> with their place on it. Hmm. And all he has done is added in kind of the hedonism of the 60s to that kind of thing. It's a real gross mixture. Yeah, The mixture of that like authoritarian streak Hmm. with this constant emphasis on liberty like liberty as a a word that means liberty for him and his friends and not for anyone else racist jokes and sex assaults yeah but it's also you know the alt-right that's a perfect mix for the alt-right yeah they're so contradictory yeah it's why they all like him yeah like do they like him much well, they, you know, uh, they, they like him because him, they but. like him because they gave him a space, and because he doesn't he doesn't bow down to any political correctness. Oh, but he's also oh, he's also um, a perfect he's the perfect kind of foil to people who call the alt right nationalists 
because he's kind of a cosmopolitan. He's a hmm. pan-European hmm. guy, except it's more a kind of... It's much more a the, the fit five richest families of Europe, that kind of yeah. aristocratic cosmopolitanism. Yeah, he's not like nationalist for a, for like Greece. Yeah, he's got his homeland is like five gigantic castles. He fucking despises Greece. Yeah, really there was nice. a there was an article where he said like um, uh, it's not a long bit. Uh, do, 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 do. What Greece needed back in the nineteen forties was less communism and more electrolysis. <laughs> All right. And it's like you don't like anybody. <laughs> no, he doesn't. No, he um, doesn't. Okay, so that's us for this week. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can mm-hmm. follow us at wdtatw underscore podcast. Mm-hmm. You can follow me at Ben Bergamo and Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And we will see you again next week. Cheers. Bye. Bye. about the fighting game when Mr. Hoover said to cut my